Well, good morning again, everyone. And uh, we are in the second part of this six-part series in which we're kind of unpacking and teaching through something called the Apostles' Creed. And as I was prepping and introing my message for today, I was thinking about all the varied people that we have a blessing of reaching and speaking to, whether it be in this room or online. And I thought it would be helpful and important, just in case you missed last week, to answer the question, first and foremost, what's the Apostles' Creed? We're going to be studying it for six weeks. What is it? Well, the first word in there, the second word I should say in there, is the word creed. And that's a word that we sometimes use, I suppose, um, in, in English. But essentially, creed is a statement of belief. Okay, so the Apostles' Creed is a statement of belief. And the first word is Apostle, because it is the apostles who are the ones who kind of framed it up the very first. They didn't necessarily write it in the form that we have today, but they essentially outlined the basic guts of the Apostles' Creed, the framework. And so maybe another question would be, because I'm trying to put myself into your shoes, is what's an apostle? Well, those are islands in Lake Superior off the coast of Wisconsin, but that's not what we're talking about. The apostles were men who lived about 2,000 years ago, and they were not only leaders in the Christian church, but they were also men who had been actually taught by Jesus himself while he was still here and, and living in the flesh here on earth. And so the Apostles' Creed, the, the main point of it, the, the, the centerpiece of it is a description— of what the Bible says about who God is and what he has done. And so the next question is, well, why spend six weeks on it? Why spend six weeks on the Apostles' Creed? Why do we spend months with middle schoolers in our Axis class going through the Apostles' Creed? Well, Matt kind of addressed that last week, and so I want to put one of the fill-ins that we had last week up on the screen. It says this, The beliefs you hold on to will eventually shape you or change you. The beliefs you hold on to, that you hold dear to the, your heart, that you know in your brain or understand in your heart, are the ones that will ine inevitably shape your life. And so it's important to believe the, <laughs> the right stuff. I mean, you understand this principle intuitively. What you believe about health will affect what you eat. The way or what you believe about the economy will inevitably shape the way you use or save or spend the money that you have or invest. Uh, Pastor Matt even mentioned last week that if you were a kid and believed that if you shapened um, cardboard to look like or to seem like wings and believed that you could fly, that that belief, as ignorant as it might be, might cause a child to jump off the side of the garage or something like that to see if, in fact, he fly. Now, there is no belief in life that shapes us more and in more varied ways than our belief and our understanding of God. It starts with whether you believe there is a God. That has a huge bearing on how you view your life. And when it comes to God and who he is, what we believe about him shapes the way we deal with our past. What we believe about God shapes how we think about our future. 
What we believe about God and who he is enables us to have purpose. It shapes our goals in life or what we're living for or living about. Our belief in God inevitably will shape our life. And so here's the benefit of the creed especially if you have it memorized. And I hope over the course of this, this series that by the end of it, or, and it won't happen just on Sundays, it'll have to be a daily reading through it until you just know it. Knowing the Apostles' Creed will help you have a quick go back to in your mind and heart of who God is and what the Bible says, because inevitably it'll shape you. So, the Apostles' Creed, if you look at the entire thing, is actually broken down into three parts. They're sometimes called articles. The first article is about the Father. The second article is about God the Son. And the third part, or the third article, is all about God the Holy Spirit. And this sort of fact that God has three parts or is three persons, but one essence is sometimes called that God is triune, which is a word that kind of theologians made up to describe God. And you see two words in triune, don't you? Tri, like tricycle, three wheels. Un, like the best card, you know, mindless card game there is. Uno, right? Triune, three in one. Or sometimes you might have heard the idea of the Trinity. Now, if you're someone sitting here this morning and hear that God is three persons in one essence, and you're thinking, I don't get that. I'm not quite sure what that means. I, I will just, you know, sort of make you feel in good company. That's, that's in a way how we all feel. I have f- four years of a seminary education, and I don't fully understand all the details of what it means that God is the Trinity. I mean, I had Sunday school teachers explain to me like it's like an apple. Like there's one apple, but there's the peel, the meat, and the core. But one apple, three parts. That helps maybe a little, but it does not get to the intricacies and the complexity of who God is. So what do you do with that? Do we just kind of resign ourselves to believe in an impossible God? I don't think so. What do, or what have I done with that tension? Two things to encourage you with that tension if you run into things like the Trinity that you don't quite understand. The first is this, is to keep studying and praying about it. Because I have a feeling your understanding will grow as you dig into the Word. I know it will. But even then, if you're someone like me who doesn't still understand all the details behind it, here's what you do with that tension. You recognize that God is the greatest being and essence that there is. And it makes sense that he would be complex. Like, there are things about this earth and things that happen in our lives that I don't quite understand all of it. Take something complex like space shuttle going into space and people walking on the moon. Like, I know there are a ton of details for that to work and to happen, to hit the atmosphere at just the right angle, at just the right time. It's too complex for me to totally understand, and yet it's true, right? You know that the gap between a shuttle getting to the moon and God, that gap is humongous. And so for me, how I've dealt with that tension of not 
totally getting all the intricacies of the Trinity is to recognize that makes sense. God would be more complex than I would understand, even as I continue to study and to read and to listen and to grow in my understanding. So the very first article, that, the one that we're going to unpack today, is the, the shortest one in the Apostles' Creed. And each week we're going to speak together the article that we're looking at. It's here on the screen, and I encourage you, please, to speak it with me. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Quick question for you. Some of you have said that phrase thousands of times in your life. Some of you not. But what feelings, what emotions, what perception of God do you have when you consider the heart of the Apostles' Creed? What are the the thoughts and the feelings going through your mind? It's important for us to consider our perception of God. This is our first fill-in for today because your relationship with God will be affected by your perception of him. Have you ever heard, you know, first impressions uh, make a big difference? It's true. First impressions make a big difference. Have you ever had a first impression about someone that ended up being totally false? Either better or worse, all right? But in one way or another. And your relationship with that person, when you thought one thing about them, was different than when you found out the truth about them. Today, at the heart of our message, because relationship with God will be affected by your perception of God, I want to unpack two unique but, and distinctive but both important parts of God and who he is that the first article points out. So it says that God is the Father Almighty. He is the maker of heaven and earth. Do you know that understanding that God has created everything makes a huge difference in how you go about your life day to day? Let me me give you an example of this. I want you to imagine that you have more in your house, more stuff in your house than what you need. Like, you might have to, you know, imagine hard here. But imagine you have more stuff than you need and you need to throw some things out. In fact, you have too many blankets. There's one blanket that was from Tarjay that you could throw out or one that is uh, knit by your grandmother. Which are you going to throw away? Which are you going to get rid of? (laughs) It probably depends how you feel about your grandma, right? But... (laughs) More than likely, 99.9% of us, it's an easy answer because the one that was knit together and with knowledge and forethought is the one that makes more of a difference to us, right? When you and I understand that we have a creator God, it changes our entire perspective about ourselves first and foremost. It should. You know how we get into that whole habit of complaining about all the little things we don't like about ourselves? You know, you take that Afghan to grandma and start complaining about how she missed something over here, right? How's that going to go over? You wouldn't do that, right? You're just thankful. God knit us together. It makes a huge difference in how we should view ourselves and how we view the people around us. We view creation. When there's a creator God, it makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? 
there's something else about God being creator that I, I want to point out today. And it was mused about by a man who lived 3,000 years ago. His name was David, and he was the king of Israel for a time. A very, a man who had his issues and his sins and his, he made some big mistakes and sins in his life, but yet he was a man of God. And he writes about his thoughts as he looked to the sky in Psalm chapter 8. Let's read uh, some words. David writes, Lord, our Lord, you can just imagine him looking up to the sky. How majestic or how glorious is your name. How great is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Now, what does that mean? What is David talking about? That when you look to the sky, God has set his glory in the heavens. Um, Three years ago or so, we had um, an entire sermon on this. It was called Stargazing. And we went into much more detail about this. But for today, I want to remind you of a a detail that was shared back then. Um, What's the name of the galaxy that we live in? I heard it, right? Milky Way. Exactly. So I want you to imagine you're outside looking up at the sky. Beautiful, all the stars. And we're part of this entire universe. We're in the galaxy called the Milky Way. Now, when you were in grade school, you might also remember the teacher talking about how um, there is a sun and that we have these planets that travel around this orbit, around the sun, planets like Venus and Mars and Jupiter and Earth. That is not the Milky Way. What that is, does anyone remember what that's called? Good, very good. That's the solar system, Okay. As scientists and astronomers have continued to study with the expanding technology they have and the ability to look further out into the universe, they have come to the conclusion that there are over 100 billion galaxies and growing as the technology gets greater. 100 billion galaxies in the known universe. Now, let me tell you something about the complexity or the Um, the size of the universe. 100 billion galaxies plus in the universe, all right? We're in the Milky Way. If you were to size the Milky Way down to the size of the United States, guess how big our solar system would be, which is really big. The size of a dime. And the Milky Way is... Just one galaxy of a hundred billion galaxies and growing in our universe. And when David looks up into the sky, he says that, I see your glory in the heavens. And what was his reaction to that as he thought then about himself? Next verse. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers... When I consider the moon and the stars which you have set in place, remember, David's knowledge of the universe was so much smaller than ours today. His response, verse 4, was this. What is mankind in comparison to the enormous universe that you are mindful of them? What is, in comparison to a hundred billion galaxies, human beings that you care for them? 
with all that God's created and with all that's going on, not just on earth, but in the entire universe, if we were just to be honest for a moment and consider God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, who can breathe and million galaxies are formed, we would have to come to this conclusion in our relationship with God. Fill in number two. The truth of God's power reminds me that I'm really, really small. When you recite some other week the entire creed and we get to the first article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, one of the things we should feel is really, really small. Do you like feeling really, really small? Not usually, right? I agree with you. When I was in uh, grade school, um, we had this year where all of the guys in the school kind of teamed up with another guy and we, we made these two-on-two basketball teams and we kind of stuck with the same guy all year. And that was your partner. And, and everyone made up names like the, the Rockets, we lived in Texas, um, and the Mavericks and the Miners. That was the, um, uh, the college in the city. So my guy, I was like the shortest guy in my class. I was, I don't know, probably like four feet tall. And, uh, and the guy my partner was, was the, the tallest guy in my class. And the name he came up with for us, remember, Hispanic community, and we were uh, living in El Paso, Texas, was we were the one and a half muchachos. <laughs> Which I did not enjoy that uh, name too much because... <laughs> And don't even try, don't, don't be, bring this name up later, okay? This is just for us right here in this room. It's not fun being small, but sometimes, sometimes, it's good to remember how small you are. It's not fun, but sometimes it's good. When I was in high school, um, every year, uh, I think this organization is still around. Um, There's an organization called MAD. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and I think they still visit high schools as far as what I know. But every year they'd come and they would have this great speaker who would talk to us all about um, the dangers of drinking underage and just drinking in general and drinking and driving. And there were some great speakers for those four years of high school. And I remember none of what they said to me. But you know what is indelibly ingrained on my heart and my mind is what they did after the talk. They took us out into the front area of the school and they walked us past a big old car or truck that had been in an accident due to drunk driving. And to see this big old heavy metal vehicle with its hood like an accordion or the door pushed in almost to the other side. So I stood there like, man, I don't think I want to drink and drive. I felt really, really small. And it was a good thing. Being small or considering how small we are is not always fun. But it's so, so important with God. It is so important for us to realize the vastness and the power and the bigness of God. And to recognize how often we treat him as like an equal or sometimes even like our little puppet on a string. Like remember, he breathes figuratively and a 
billion galaxies are formed. And we think that we know better about what should happen with the job interview. Like, that doesn't make sense. And you can pray about anything and everything, but don't you think if he has the galaxies and put everything in its right place in orbit, that he's probably got your next doctor's appointment under control too? And it's not that we don't pray and ask. It's just that we do it with the understanding that we have a great, powerful, big, perfect, powerful, holy God. And I don't need to question him. I don't need to worry. He's got it. He's got it. There, there's something else that uh, we want to talk about from the, the first article today. And um, it, it's the other part of the article. Because um, if we just stuck with God, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, you know what happens? Our entire relationship with God is one of, you know, putting our heads down and being afraid. And in fact, most religions, most man-made religions in the world are all about that kind of relationship with God. That we better do enough or act a certain way or do the the seven things or the ten-step process or whatever it is to get right with God. And hopefully Almighty God will love us or at least endure us. And I think some of that trickled into the disciples' thinking as well. Um, Over and over again in the New Testament, Jesus spent time teaching them how to pray. In fact, they asked God, Jesus, can you teach us how to pray? And I think, this is a little bit of conjecture, I think it's because it was so unnatural to think that they could talk and Almighty God would hear them. Teach us how to pray. I'm not sure I'm doing it right. And much like a job interview where you don't want to say the wrong thing, God is almighty creator of the universe. I hope I don't say the wrong thing. Well, one of those instances were in Luke chapter 11. And let's read the first two verses. It goes like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John or John the Baptist taught his disciples. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say. And he didn't say, you know, address God as almighty, powerful God and creator of the universe. He used this other word that I think totally would have blown their minds the first time they had heard it. He said, pray to God and start by saying, Father, Dad. And the imagery there, I believe, is like a little kid who comes into dad's office and dad is so happy to see him or her and that little child gets up on dad's lap and just talks about what he or she, whatever he or she wants to. And dad is so excited to see his child. He continued, verse 11. In fact, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, so he's talking to the fathers in the crowd, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. The answer would be, no dad, no loving dad would do that. Verse 13. If you then, dads, though you are evil, and that word sounds pretty, uh, pretty stark, but all it means is though you're not perfect, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit or give what we're asking for to those who ask him or what is good to those who ask him? 
So we have a God in the first article who can do whatever it is we need and give to us whatever it is we need. And not only that, has such a great love for us that will give us what he knows to be best. It's an amazing combination, both found right in that very first article. All-powerful God who can, daddy, father, loving God who will give us what is best. Now, I think that maybe one of the things that can so often make it difficult to truly understand God being dad is our own interactions with our dads. I'm guessing that if you were asked in this room if you love your dad or loved your dad, if he's not with us anymore, that most of you would raise your hand and say, yes, I loved my dad. Most of you, not all of you. Some of you had really bad experiences with your dad and thinking of God as dad just doesn't, it's not a good imagery. Even those of us who had good dads did not have perfect dads. Call me, you know, count me as one of them. And I think one of the things we need to remember about God the Father, and I love how um, a Christian writer named Louis Giglio put it. He put it this way. God is not a reflection of your earthly father. He is the perfection of your earthly father. So first and foremost, forgive your dad as best as you can for his flaws and his difficulties and the way that he sort of lost his temper and his frustration. And recognize that all the good things about dad and take away all the bad things about dad, that's how God the Father is. He's not a reflection of your earthly dad. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. And dads in this room, or, or, or men who someday, teens who someday will be a dad, I, I, I really want to speak to you for a moment. Do you know that your child's understanding of God being father, their first understanding of that, and maybe even all of their understanding at, to a certain point, is directly connected to how we interact with our kids. And it won't be perfect, but man, is it a responsibility? And man, what a humble privilege it is, dads, to be a reflection, not the perfection, but a reflection of our Heavenly Father and to teach them about their own, about God's grace and love as dad. It wasn't always that way, though. We weren't born children of God by faith. You know, there's two ways that people become children to certain parents. Uh, By birth or by adoption. You might think of others, but those are the primary ways. By birth or by adoption. And I think culturally speaking, we tend to, you know, first start with the, the by birth part of things and to have children who are our biological children in most families and in most couples. But let me tell you, if you're, a, if you're a person who was adopted, there is something absolutely amazing in your adoption. See, here's something I, I have heard from parents who have children by birth at times. Have you ever heard someone say this? Um, yeah, we weren't really planning on having five kids, but whatever it might be. 
right? You know what I've never heard from someone who's adopted say? We weren't really planning on adopting. It just happened. Stork dropped off a child and here we are. Because in adoption, there is pursuit. It takes money. It takes time. There's highs. Have you ever known someone who's adopted a child? It is not easy most of the time. Throughout the entire pursuit, you see the love of those parents for wanting that child by adoption. John wrote this about the love of our Father. 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. It's as if John is writing, like, our title should not have been child of God, but what great love that it is, that title. You know why? Because God the Father pursued us. And Jesus Christ on the cross wrote with his blood our adoption papers. And now by faith in him, just like little Louis earlier, we can be called children of God, who is the almighty creator of the universe, and yet also our heavenly father. Fill in number three, the truth of my adoption. The truth of my adoption reminds me that I am loved. So, what do we do with this as we wrap up? It's our fourth fill-in for today. I want you to live each day knowing that you are loved by the Father. Knowing each day that God, who created all things and can do all things, wants you to sit on his lap, so to speak, and always has time for you. That he can not only do everything and what is best for you, he loves you enough to give you today, tomorrow, the next day, that which you need the most. A few uh, years ago, when the Golden State Warriors were in the finals, um, uh, Steph Curry would bring his little, I think she was three years old at the time, a daughter to uh, the press conferences. I think there's a picture here. Her name is, is Riley. And uh, as she got to be there every single day of the, the finals or every single press conference, I think there was a, a whole group of kids in our country who wear Steph Curry jerseys and love him as a basketball player. They're like, man, she's lucky. She gets to hang out with Steph Curry, right? She gets to be there right on his lap. And, you know, believe me, she hammed it up a little bit. Uh, she enjoyed being in the, in the spotlight and, and all of that. But it was just natural for her, Right? And for Steph Curry, it was natural for her to be on his lap. As a privilege as that is for little Riley, some of you may not think, some of you don't care about Steph Curry, but as much as a privilege as that is, may that be the picture of how each and every day we are privileged to be in the presence of our Heavenly Father and that he would call us child. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that we get to pray and you hear us. We thank you that we get to call you dad and you claim us as your children by adoption through Christ. Dear Lord, as we leave this place today, may we have a renewed sense of confidence and peace in life, knowing the two parts of you as Father, that you are all-powerful, that you are 
intensely loving towards us. And may that be our confidence now and every day in Jesus' name.